Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. But as we prepare for that, I need two volunteers under eight. Okay, so two volunteers. If you want to volunteer, you can raise Sherry. um, At heart, at heart. Sherry, if you want to volunteer, I'll use you. Okay, I need two volunteers under eight. Okay, Penelope, come on up. And I need one more. One more. Come on up. Yep, all right, let's do this. Okay, so here's what I need your help for. I'm going to need your help. Can you guys help me out with something? I have a mission for you, okay? Now, it's not my mission. It's a mission that was given to me, but I didn't make it up. But I'm going to need your help to do something. The mission that I have is actually my master's mission. Someone who is in charge of me. And I received this mission a long time ago, but I want you guys to help me do it. So here's here's the mission. There is a message that the master once shared with everyone. Okay? So I'm going to give you something, and I want you to share it with everyone. Do you know what the, the, the message is? It's a mystery. Okay? It's a mystery. But you're going to share it with other people. Now, here's the thing. The master has a very specific method he wants this message delivered. Do you guys know how he wants his message delivered? If you had to get a message to everyone, maybe we could do like a billboard? No? Okay, maybe, maybe you could, we could ask your mom or dad to send a group text message. No, not that? Okay, um, maybe we could do an advertisement on YouTube, Like before people watch Bluey, there could be this ad for the message. No? Okay. Do you know that he actually has a way that he wants the message shared? Do you know how he wants his message shared? Through messengers. Now, we don't use this much anymore, but back a long time ago, the only way you could get a message is if someone actually took it to you. The book of Colossians that we're in, someone had to actually take that letter to them. So I have two letters here, and I'm going to ask you guys to hold them for a little bit, and you're going to share them. Now, this is a really important mission, and so I don't want you guys to fail. If the, me- the, the mission is to share this message with everyone, there's some things that might get in the way. So do you think that it would get in the way if you were distracted a lot? Yeah, so here, let's make a deal no distractions, okay? I have to do this with my kids. I'd give them a job and they're, they're distracted. I have to do this for me. So let's just make a deal. No distractions. The only, what are we gonna do? The only thing? Share. Share the message. Okay, so no distractions. I don't want you to eat anymore. I don't want you to sleep anymore. Don't even breathe while you're sharing this message. <laughs> right? No distractions. Do you think that if you try to do it without breathing, it's gonna help? No, I think that there's some things that we probably should keep doing. Okay, so don't get distracted by other stuff, but there are some parts like breathing that you should still do while you're delivering the message. Now, here's, here's the other thing that might be a distraction. How, how many of you came up to help me with this? Two? Okay. 
Who do you think is going to share the message better? Which one of you? You? Oh, yeah. Do, who, who, who's going to win in this sharing the message? You know what? Hey, if she thinks she's doing better, why don't we tie our shoelaces? And then she'll trip when she's going and she won't be able to do it. Oh, but she's not having any shoelaces. Oh, we'll have to come up with something else. Now, that would be fun to win and be the one that shares the message best. But, but what was the mission? Who do we have to share it with? Everything. Do you think you can do that by yourself? So maybe competition won't really help us do this mission. Maybe instead of competing against each other, you can cheer each other to do it, right? Okay. Now, there's one other distraction that I think this one's a really bad one. What if, and you might have a hard time imagining this is true, what if instead of actually sharing the message, we just talked about it for a long time? Can you ever imagine two people who are given a message to deliver and told to deliver it to everyone that they would just stay on stage talking about it? Can you imagine anyone doing that just for a long, long time? I wonder how long two people would stay on the stage talking about delivering the message and never delivering it. How long do you think they would stay? I bet I could keep going for a long time and two messengers would stay on the stage and never deliver the message. So what do you think we should do? Should we deliver the message? Okay, here's, here's what I want you to do. Here's the great part of this message. When someone else gets the message, there's some instructions. And if they follow the instructions, they become a messenger and pass it to someone else. So you don't have to pass it to everyone. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your message, Penelope, you're going to go all the way back to Betsy. And I want you to take it all the way back to Becca and you're going to pass it to them. And then they're going to follow the instructions. And who knows, maybe by the end of today's service, that message will make it all the way back up to me. So you go give it to them and then you pass, then you can go back and sit with your parents, okay? So over there to Betsy and over there to Becca. Thank you for our messengers. This morning, we're going to be discussing the believer's missional purpose. It's our public role. In this final section of Colossians, Paul has addressed multiple spheres within the Christian's life. He started out in chapter 3 talking about our personal walk with God. After that, he talked about the congregation's walk, how we as a church are meant to walk together. After that, what we saw last week, he talks about instructions for the household. But now, as he is finishing up his book, he talks about the believer's public role. What is our mission to outsiders? How should we interact with those who do not believe, those who are still captives in the dominion of darkness? In our five verses this morning, Paul is going to highlight two vital pieces of our public life. Those parts are prayer and proclamation. Kids, prayer and proclamation, maybe you, you know one of those words, you might not know the other one. Here's prayer and proclamation. Prayer is when we talk to God. Proclamation is when we talk about God to others. Okay, prayer, we talk to God directly. Proclamation, we talk about God to others. 
Prayer and proclamation are two of the primary pieces of our public mission. They are essential elements of our Christian walk. If we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, we won't do it if we aren't talking to God in prayer and talking about God through proclamation. Remember that this is the mission that Paul has said from the beginning, walk in a manner worthy. And it's going to include all of those different spheres that we've seen in chapters three and four. But this one is necessary. There's a public mission in which we must be praying and proclaiming. Before we continue, I'm going to make an assumption. I assume that for most of you here, because of the Holy Spirit, because he resides within you, because you have placed your faith in Christ alone, my assumption is that you, part of you knows you have a public mission. You know there is a purpose for Christians, for believers in this world. And it has to do with the lost. I'd like to believe that as we have been progressively transformed more and more into the image of Christ, that we have a desire that God would accomplish his mission through us and not in spite of us. It's been a while, but if you remember when we went through the book of Jonah, that was one of the big ideas from Jonah, that God wants to accomplish his purpose through us and not in spite of us. And if God would accomplish his mission through us, it will inevitably include prayer and proclamation. Here's the problem. The problem is that our mission is compromised by our actions. Or better, the neglect of actions. The problem is that our continued practice contradicts our claimed purpose. What we do undermines what we declare. Let me demonstrate this. I want you to see if you can perceive the inconsistency that I think the world often sees when they look at believers. Let's imagine that you are not a Christian. You aren't a believer. But you are aware that there is a group of people making a fantastic claim. They affirm that they know the creator of the universe. They claim to know God. Not only that, but they are saying that they have a personal and intimate relationship with this God and that he loved them so much he sacrificially saved them from a terrible end. You also know that within the belief structure of this group, they believe that this creator wants to have that kind of relationship with everyone, but it requires a response. Now, those are fantastic claims. They know God. They were saved by God. Their God wants others to be saved. That sounds pretty good, if it's true. So you think to yourself, well, if what they are claiming is true, what should I see them doing about it? If all of those claims, all of this fantastic truth that they say they have, if it's really true, what should that look like? Do they consistently talk to God? After all, they said that they have a relationship with him. Do they exult in every opportunity to commune with him? Do they take advantage of their relationship, their new relationship status with him? 
How about what they said their God wants? Are they telling others about his offer? Are they proclaiming the good news to everyone? I mean, if what they claim is true, how could they not talk to him constantly and tell others about him consistently? Let's ask that question again. If everything we say about Christ and our relationship with him is true, how could we not talk to God constantly and about him to others consistently? You see the problem? Do you see how our public mission is hampered because we neglect prayer and proclamation? This morning in our passage, as Paul points us to our public purpose, he is going to push us towards prayer and proclamation. Here's our big idea. Our missional purpose requires constant prayer and public proclamation. Our missional purpose requires constant prayer and public proclamation. Kids, here's your big idea. Talk to God about you and talk to others about God. Okay, very simple. Talk to God about you and talk to God, talk to others about God. Let's read our passage starting in verse two. Colossians four, verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The first section we're going to look at is in verse 2, and it's the prayer for personal protection. This, when it says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What is Paul's command? What is Paul telling the Colossians to do? Pray. Let's try it in. What is Paul telling the Colossians to do? Pray. Prayer is a conversation. It's when we get to talk to God. It's a privilege. As, as William prayed earlier in our service, to, to have the privilege of knowing that the curtain has been torn, that access has been granted, that we can now speak directly to God. How does Paul call them to pray? He gives three aspects to their prayer. Their prayer is to be constant, it's to be watchful, and they are meant to do it with thankfulness. Let's look at that first part, constant prayer. Paul says, continue steadfastly. Now in Greek, that's just one word. It's one idea. Continue steadfastly. The idea is to persevere. It's to not neglect prayer. It's to do it continually and constantly. Now I don't think that the problem we have with prayer is that we don't see the importance of prayer. Because, because can we just be honest? We, we don't pray the way we should. We're not praying the way we should. 
And, and we might think, ah, oh, maybe, I, I just don't think it's that important. No, I'm, I'm going to venture a guess that if you are in Christ, you do see prayer as important. But I think the problem is that we have the wrong image of how to pray. There are many duties we see as very important, but importance doesn't always relate to frequency. How does Paul say we should pray? Continue steadfastly. In other words, constantly. Here's the problem. We read constantly and we think consistently. Those are two different things. Constantly is not the same as consistently. Let me just illustrate this. If you were to, do you think that eating is important? Eating is important. Is there a difference between eating consistently and constantly? A very big one. How about breathing? Is breathing important? Should you breathe cons consistently or constantly? What if you just said, you know what, I think breathing's important. And so for that reason, I will set aside three times a day. I'll put it around my meals. When I have a meal, I will decide that is the time that I will breathe. You'll be on life support. You can't do that. Don't we do the same thing with prayer? Paul tells us pray constantly, without ceasing. And yet what we apply from that, what we interpret from that is consistently. It's important, so let me set aside consistent time to pray. Please understand, that's good. It is good for us to set aside times that are intentional for prayer. That we are saying there is nothing else going on other than my time with the Lord in which I will speak to him in prayer. But we can't just do that. It's not just consistently, it's also constantly. We need to think of prayer less like eating consistently and breathing constantly. That's the image I want you to have in your mind. When you're thinking about prayer, it's not eating of food to get strength. It's breathing for survival. So how do we do this? Well, it takes practice. It takes intentionality. I will be the first to admit that I struggle with this. I struggle to be constant instead of just consistent. Now you might be thinking, wait, so I can't talk to anyone else. I just need to be praying nonstop. No, there, there are purposes. We're going to see in our passage, we're meant to talk to other people. But this idea of continually going to God is what we have. I, I was talking to my wife about this, and, and I love what she had to say. She said this, most people have an ongoing internal dialogue with themselves. As Christians, we have the privilege of having an ongoing internal dialogue with the God of the universe. It's, it's a paradigm shift. I can't tell you, just trying to apply that this week, how many times where I'm talking about the, the problems I'm facing, the, the dreams I want to pursue, all of these ideas for me, and, and the internal dialogue is with me. And there's not much wisdom there. And I have the privilege of changing that. Thank you. I have the privilege of changing that dialogue. I don't have to talk to me, which is wonderful. I can talk to the Savior. I can talk to the Creator. Just trying to change that this week, how many times I would start thinking about different things and say, wait, 
hey, God, what do you think about this? God, hey, I'm, I'm trying to think of the introduction for this message. This is what I'm thinking. God, this is, it, what does it do? It changes my perspective. It changes everything about me when I am taking things to my Savior. A prayer, constant prayer life will look like pursuing prayer both formally and informally. That we go to him and set aside times in which we will say, this is nothing else is happening now other than my time of prayer. But it will also look like informal prayer, that you are continually having that conversation, that there is no break in it. We have access to God. We must constantly be taking advantage of it. Prayer is a privilege, as we see in that first part, but prayer is also a protection, as we see in the next part, where he says, being watchful in it. The word here is the idea of being alert. It's being on guard. We actually find this word in one of the most prominent prayer stories of Scripture. When Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before the the climax of history, where he will sacrifice himself, where he will take on our sins, he goes to the garden to pray. And he takes his disciples with him. And what does he ask them? Watch. Same word as our passage here. He then pulls a, a, a few of his, of his very close disciples, ones that he had a special relationship with. He pulls, pulls them aside and says, watch and pray. And then he goes and prays. And what happens when he comes back? Matthew 26, verse 40, he finds them sleeping. Verse 40, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Be alert. Be on guard. There's a danger that's coming. You're about to make mistakes. Watch and pray. Unfortunately, we are often lulled to sleep by a false sense of security. Life's fine. Life's good. What do I need to watch out for? I'm already saved. My biggest problem's been resolved. There's nothing more to watch out for. I don't need to pray. I prayed once to be saved, and now we're good. Paul spends a large portion of his letter addressing the threat that they are facing. There is still a threat, even if you are in Christ, for you to depart from him. Not in a loss of salvation, but you are moving away from where you are meant to be. It's a large list. He spends a whole chapter talking about it, and yet it's still not comprehensive. The dangers we face as believers are great and numerous. Watch. Watch and pray. We need to be on guard. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Same word. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There's a danger. Watch and pray. When we had the kids up here and we were doing doing the different illustration, are there distractions we should be on guard against that we should watch out against and say, no, I'm not going to let that distract me. Yes, prayer is not one of those distractions. 
You know, when we say, I don't have time to pray, we know what we say next. I don't have time not to pray. This is what's keeping me safe. Watch and pray. I cannot tell you how many temptations and dangers I've fallen into because I was lulled into a false sense of safety. We aren't safe. This world is dangerous, but we can be protected because we have a greater power at our disposal. We must watch and not fall asleep. Prayer is a privilege. Prayer is a protection, but prayer is also praise. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. It's amazing how often thankfulness comes up in Colossians. It's never the theme Like thankfulness is not the main idea for really any part of Colossians. And yet, consistently, Paul brings up thankfulness. And and many times it's like, wait, what? How does thankfulness fit into this? And yet Paul is saying, this is the, the foundation that you're standing on. That there's a understanding of what you have received and what that produces is thankfulness. God, thank you. Thank you that I'm no longer in the domain of darkness. Thank you that you have called me. Thank you that you have redeemed me and forgiven me. Thank you that you have uh, crossed out my record of debt, that you have set it aside, that you have nailed it to the cross. Thank you that the mystery has been revealed. See, our prayer is meant to be a prayer of praise. Thankfulness should always be the common theme of every prayer. Unfortunately, praise is not often the underlying reason we pray. Instead of thankfulness as our foundation, we make prayer a heavenly complaints box. Here's the problem, God. Here's what needs to change. This is what I suggest. Now understand, I'm not saying don't take your problems to God. Read the Psalms. They take their problems to God. But what is the underlying truth that we bring those problems to God? Is it, God, you owe me. I deserve so much better than what I'm receiving. I'm not meant to be here. What if Paul's like, God, I'm not, I'm not meant to be in prison. Are you kidding me? Do you know what I've given for you? And yet Paul is just overwhelmed and overflowing with gratitude because he knows a greater truth. Take your problems to God, but take your problems to God with praise and gratitude, knowing he will do what is best for you. Pray constantly because it's a privilege. Pray with watchfulness because it's a protection. Pray with thankfulness as a means of praise. So how's your personal prayer life? This doesn't apply to everyone, but what I found revealing to me is considering the example of prayer I'm setting before my children. Parents, how well do you think your kids, if I just asked them, hey, what do you think your dad's going to pray before lunch today? What's he going to say? How close do you think they'll be able to get to what you said? Thanks, Judah. If I just said, hey, what what are your parents going to pray tonight before you go to sleep? Do you think they'll be able to guess, if not verbatim, pretty close to what you say? Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Help us to glorify you. Keep us from sin. Amen. How often does constant prayer look like somewhat consistent prayers at meals? 
How often is being watchful in prayer summed up with something like, help me not to sin? How often is our gratitude for the breadth and unfathomable measure of what we have received covered by, thank you for this day? See, in a simple memorized prayer, we can cover all the main parts in under 30 seconds, but is that really constant? Now, I'm not saying that you have to have elaborate, thought-out prayers. But the problem is in this repetition where we just say the same thing, we're not actually saying anything. Taking the Lord's name in vain sometimes is a problem of intent. I'm praying, but I have no thought of what I'm actually doing. I appreciate so much when we have different individuals come and pray and they come with fear and trembling as they stand before the throne of God in prayer. We're being so laissez-faire. Who cares with our prayers? We are called to be constant in our prayers, watchful in our prayers, thankful with our prayers. Our missional purpose requires constant prayer. Kids, talk to God about you. Let's move on to the, to the next part and see our need to pray for the proclamation of others. Verse three, it says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The request is this, pray for us. Paul's told them, pray for yourselves. Now he's saying, pray for me. Pray for those who are also with me. What's interesting is that we are at the end of the book and the rest of the letter, the rest of the letter, what we'll see next week is the farewell. But Paul hasn't talked that much about prayer in the middle part of the book, but he started the book with prayer. He told them, this is what I'm praying for you. And all of the elements that we just saw were part of his prayer. In his prayer, he was doing it constantly. I do not cease praying for you. He says that in verse three. It was watchful. It was saying that you would walk, that you would be strengthened with perseverance, that you would be full of wisdom. It was thankful. We do not cease to give thanks to God with thankfulness. Paul does all of the elements he's calling them to pray in his prayer for them. And now, though, he's calling them to pray for him. What does he ask them to pray for? He desires that their prayer be missional, that it would be mission-focused. Kids, what was the mission? To share the message with everyone. Paul is missional. He's mission-focused. He knows that his mission. So he asks them to pray. And let me just say, if I were Paul, that's not the prayer I would be asking for if I was in his position. Look at your verse. Where's Paul? He's in prison. If you were writing to a group of believers, ones that you've never met, and you want to talk to them, what are you going to ask them to pray? What are you going to talk about? Hey, this is the conditions I'm in. This is what prison life is like. This is what's happening. Please pray that a door would be opened for my release. Pray that I would have freedom. But what door does Paul ask to be opened? Pray that the door would be opened for God's word. 
Paul understands his mission. It's what he said earlier in Colossians 1. Turn, turn to Colossians 1, verses 24 through 29. The reason Paul can ask them to pray for something other than his own comfort is because he understands his bigger mission. Look at Colossians 1, verse 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. The, the filling up is that he is going out and proclaiming that that is what the world needs to hear. For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Why is Paul asking them to pray for the door to be open, not for his freedom, not for his release, but for the door to be open for the word of God? Because he understands his greater mission. What does Paul understand about his mission? Let's look at what he asks to pray because there's two elements of his prayer. The first is that Paul understands that the mission is only accomplished in God's sovereignty. We cannot accomplish the master's mission. We cannot deliver the master's message if the master does not make a way. So he prays that God may open to us a door for the word. Here's the principle I want us to see. Missional prayer understands and submits to divine sovereignty. Our mission is not accomplished through our strength. Our mission is accomplished through God's sovereignty as he opens doors that were locked shut. But look at the second part of his request, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of a Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. What else does Paul understand about this mission? That God has chosen to deliver his message through his messengers. He asked for prayer that once God has opened the door, he and his companions would be faithful to walk through it. This is our mission. God made this decision. I don't know why. I don't know why he decided that his message would be shared by fallen messengers. But that was the method he picked. And so Paul says, prays not only that God would open the doors only he can open, Paul prays, please help us to have boldness to walk through those doors. Help us to declare the mystery. Help us to have clarity. There is a comfort here and caution for us. Here's the comfort. The apostle Paul asked them to pray for boldness and clarity in sharing the gospel. That's comforting to me because there's an element where I feel totally unequipped to do that. And yet for the Apostle Paul to say, pray for me, pray that I would be bold. Dude, you're in prison. Sounds like you're bold enough. Please pray, pray that I would actually do this, walk through this and pray that I would speak with clarity. But here's the caution. The Apostle Paul 
ask them to pray for boldness and clarity. Sometimes we think, no, I've got this. I have figured out the gospel. I know how to share it. I know the method to share the gospel. My success rate is through the roof. You need to do this way. And if you follow these steps, you will be, you will be the next evangelist that you are gonna be the next Billy Graham. No, it's, it's not in our strength. There is a caution there for us to understand that it's all through him. So here's my question. Are we praying for others in a way that is mission focused? Should we pray for the earthly circumstances of our brothers and sisters? Absolutely. Yes, pray for them. But make your prayers more than just that. Make your prayers about what God has told us to do. God has not guaranteed that your life is going to be easy. God has not guaranteed that you're going to have health, wealth, and happiness. Joy. But not the happiness that we might think. And so we can pray for those, but there's no guarantee in any of those. What we are meant to pray for is the mission we've been given. We can pray that if we are faithful, he will be glorified. That's different from praying that we will be faithful and it will produce results. I don't know about the results of what it will do to outsiders. What I can say is that God will be glorified. Are we praying for others this way? When we had that, the kids up here and we did that element, how often do we compete with other people in this mission? I'm going to just tell you that there are times that in the, the, the fallenness of my heart, when I see another church that didn't do things the way I like them being done, and I see them fall, part of me enjoys that. Part of me likes saying, ha, huh, I knew we were the better messenger. I knew we were going to be more faithful. I knew we were going to do a better job than them. Yeah, they got lots of credit and everyone was looking at them, but where the real work's happening is here. That competition shouldn't be happening. I should be cheering for them. I should be praying for them. Because the mission is bigger than we can do. The mission is not for Hillside Haven to be the best church in NEPA so that everyone could praise Hillside Haven. The mission is for God to be glorified. And so we pray for other churches. We pray for our missionaries that God would open a door for them and that then they would be faithful to declare the mystery, which is Christ. Our missional purpose requires constant prayer and public proclamation. Talk to God about you and talk to others about God. We've seen the necessity to pray for ourselves. We've looked at the need to pray for the proclamation of others. Now let's look at our own call to proclaim. Verses five and six say this, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If we were to sum up Paul's charge in these last two verses, it would be this, continue the mission. Continue the mission. There's an interesting dynamic when it comes to the relationship between Paul and the Colossians. What's different about his relationship with the Colossians compared to other books he writes? Yeah, I like this. You can't see them. Yeah, he's never seen them. So how are they a church? How did this happen? He calls them brothers and sisters because of their faith in Jesus. He is concerned about their well-being, but how did that happen? Because they are recipients of the message they received from others. 
Colossians 1 verses 5 and 8 through 8 says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The Colossians are the result of the faithful message proclamation. They are a result of an unbroken chain where Paul received the mystery. The message was revealed to him. He took it, he received it, and then he himself became a messenger. And then he took that message and shared it to another. And that person took that message and shared it to another. And that person took it and shared the message to another in an unbroken line to where you are seated right now. You are here because someone took the message and delivered it faithfully to the next person and so on and so on for thousands of years. Paul is calling them to continue that mission. Don't break the chain. What does that look like? How are we to live in a way that accomplishes the mission? Paul lists five different characteristics. All of these characteristics have an emphasis on our public mission. They are meant to be accomplished with outsiders. That doesn't happen here. It's to those who are not yet believers. Here's the first characteristic. Paul calls us to be wise. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. One of the main themes of Colossians has been how we will walk now that we are in Christ. To walk in wisdom is to walk in the way of the Lord. It is walking according to what Christ would do, according to his will. Do we realize that in our purpose to reflect Christ, we might be the only representation of Christ someone ever meets? It's a mystery to them. They haven't read it. You're the message. You're the revelation of the mystery. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Wisdom, God, what would you have me do here? That's what Colossians has said earlier, that we would be filled with all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Paul then continues and says it must be intentional. He says that by saying that it, we should be making the best use of the time. This is part of wisdom, what we, that we not waste our time pursuing the wrong mission. Why is time an important consideration here? Because it's limited. Because every day there are lost people condemned to an eternity in hell. Because our opportunity to accomplish this mission is here and now. Jesus says in John 9, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Will we forever praise God? Yes. Will we forever be in his presence? Yes. But right now, in this bare sliver of your entire existence, you have a mission to share with others who are lost. This is the only chance you get to do that. We must be intentional. We must also be gracious. Paul says, let your speech always be gracious. 
how often are we just trying to win the fight? To destroy other people. Grace. How is Jesus described in John 1 verse 14? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. What we should expect from that truth is that we would be condemned, we should be vanquished, that we have seen the glory of God as sinners. And yet then this is what it says. We have seen the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Our lives before others is not to cut them down, it's to point them to a better way. We must also have our speech be seasoned. Paul says that their speech is to be seasoned with salt. Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Every interaction with people, every time that they spend, they are with us, they should see the graciousness in which we deal with them, but there should be a flavor to it. That there's like, wait, something's different here. Something's different about this person. There's an intentionality here. It's pointing people to Christ. And it needs to be spoken. Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Sometimes we we can fall into this idea that we think that there are just going to be lots of people that we just do everything right and people are just going to pop up all around us and say, tell me everything. Tell me, tell me about what hope you have. Can that happen? Sure. But it's not going to be if we're not walking in wisdom, if we're not intentional, if we're not gracious, if we're not seasoned with salt, if we're not actually speaking it. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And the next part, it's necessary. We need to speak the words. This is what Paul has already told them in in chapter 1. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is our mission. We must proclaim Christ. Yes, live a godly life so that maybe people will come and ask you and you will know how you ought to answer. But live a salty, grace-filled, intentional, wise life that is speaking into them so even if they don't ask, the truth has been proclaimed. As we had the kids up here, we don't just talk about the mission. We could spend week after week Sunday after Sunday, talking about this mission. But does just talking about it accomplish the mission? How, how often are we like the, the kids who just stand here waiting? Oh, I'm, I'm about to. Yep, yep, we're going to do it. I'm going to get started. We, yes, we're going to do the mission. We're going to tomorrow. Do the mission now. Time is of the essence. What's the mystery? Now, some of you opened it. Not sure who the first one was to open it. I was going to open it and have a big reveal, but that's fine. This mystery is not a secret, is it? It's already been told to us. What's the mystery? It's Christ. Paul told us the mystery, which is Christ in you. You're the message. 
You're the mystery that is revealing to the world what God has done. Not the message that people can just read your character and say, ah, I think I've got the message. No, they still need to know the message, but you're the messenger. You're going forward and showing them Christ. The instructions, receive the message. You did that when you placed your faith in Christ. Become a messenger and share the message with others. I love that in this whole passage, we can see a picture of Christ doing all of this because Christ is the real message. He's the mystery. Christ is the means. We're not doing this through our own strength. That's why we're praying to him. Christ is also the master. He told us what to do. Christ, who is the mystery, is the Christ who is the message, who is Christ who is our means, because Christ is our master and told us to do this. Pray for your protection. Pray for the proclamation of others. Go and proclaim the message to others. Our missional purpose requires constant prayer and public proclamation. Talk to you, talk to God about you and talk to others about God.